the two big numbers we look at on a conventional side or a consumer loan are your credit score and your debt to income. So your debt to income really is the big number because a lot of people don't realize that deposits are what we lend out. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to us to just lend money out and that's not how a good bank functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if all we're doing is lending, then at some point we're going to run out of those deposits to lend. Welcome to the Cashflow Bros podcast. Um, Jack, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and hanging out with us. You are in the commercial banking space. Yes, so uh, it's it's funny because when I, you know, we've actually done our first deal. Mm-hmm. We were talking about doing, you know, potentially those who listen to this podcast know I was taking down the Huey Town deal. Ended up not working out. We were trying to work on that deal together. Had a lot of conversations. Yep. So we actually may kind of cover that um, towards the end. Yep. Um, but through that kind of built a relationship with you, we mm-hmm. actually just put a line of credit on one of my properties together, which is great. And I appreciate that um, working with me on that so much. So, um, But when I first got into the space, you know, investing, it was all about conventional loans. It was all about you know, basically, if you have a W-2, you can leverage it to, you know, buy your first rental, your second rental, you can do up to eight. And it's all of this space talking about, you know, the W-2 world and how you can leverage that, which is, in my opinion, an incredible way to go about your first steps of investing. But as I grew and as I learned and then moved out of having a consistent W-2, I quickly learned that financing is going to look different for me. Right. And, you know, past your fourth, fifth, sixth property, you start to have to look at alternatives to financing. And that's when I dove into the commercial space and trying to understand it. And honestly, it was like, honestly, like completely different language, Mm -hmm. completely different terms. And so once I learned that, and I'm still learning, like we have so many conversations. I feel like every time we talk, you're educating me on the commercial space and how you guys see it as far as banking and loans and all that kind of stuff. But I was like, I have to have you on there because you're a wealth of knowledge. Um, I've learned so much from you and I want other people to learn those same things too. And so, you know, I want you to kind of give a little bit of your background, how you got into commercial banking. And then, yeah, let's talk about loan structures and how commercial works differently than residential, um, you know, conventional loans and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Uh, When you you sent me that email about coming on, I was fired up about it. Um, So looking forward to our conversation and and educating your listeners. Yeah, Um, yeah. So my track into banking is a little bit unique. Um, I started as a drive-through teller um, right out of college. Um, and so that's, that's really the ground floor banking. I yeah. Mean, yeah. That's, that's where it all starts. Way harder than the, than the front desk, right, you know, <laughs> like the drive through is yep. the tough part. Yep. And so I was, uh, <laughs> man, taking deposits through the window, uh, sending suckers through the tube, man. I was, I was, uh, front line. Um, so I did that for a year or two and then moved, um, to a, a more of a, I guess, retail banking role where I was setting up checking accounts, answering phones. Um, and I guess kind of to back it up a little bit, when I was hired, my boss now, Brian Etheridge, um, kind of saw a track for me and he wanted me to learn everything there is to know about banking. So, so starting as a drive through teller all the way through commercial lending. So, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily your skill set was limited to that. He was just like, let's right. take you from yeah. the ground up and build the right. pieces. So, so you my, holistically understand. Exactly. So my title was a management trainee. 
Um, okay. So I started in the drive-thru. Um, and, man, uh, the tellers don't get enough credit. I mean, it is it is high pressure, people in your face, counting money quick, trying to get, you know, do everything right and then get, get them out to get the next person in. Yeah. Um, and so they're in the drive through for a reason. That's right. That's right. They're, they're in and out. And so, um, it was really cool to learn that, uh, space of banking and kind of have respect for those frontline workers. Cause really people don't realize that, you know, tellers are important in the sense of that's probably who you see on a daily basis if you're coming into the bank so they can make or break a relationship. Um, and so I learned a whole new respect for our frontline bankers, um, and so from there, I moved into, like I said earlier, a uh, more retail role where I was setting up checking accounts, answering phone calls, fixing problems, online banking, all that stuff. So I did that for probably about six months and then moved more onto the loan side. Um, and so Brian had the, the wherewithal to put me in all type of back office stuff. And so I worked, um, I did some, some back office loan booking. So when a loan gets, gets a process, the, somebody's got to put it in the system. And so we call that loan operations. So I did a lot of loan operations work. Um, I did some lending assistant work in a sense of helping lenders um, get all the necessary information they need to get a loan booked. Um, so all the documents, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then from there, I moved into an underwriting role. Um, and so what that means is I was, I was getting numbers, sitting behind a desk, crunching numbers, making sure deals uh, work from a numbers aspect. Um, and then writing up, uh, doing write-ups and, and kind of working on the language of underwriting and, and helping uh, to get deals booked that way. And the, and this is for loans for primarily. Loans, yeah. Okay, yep. gotcha. Uh, so so running the numbers for loans and making numbers. sure it makes sense for the bank to take on that debt. Right. And so uh, when I moved into a lending role about 18 months ago, that was probably what I leaned on most was was my my background in underwriting. Yeah. Um, just because from doing that, I was able to learn what the bank is looking for um, and not be just a, a money salesman in a sense. Um, and so I understood how to book deals, how to underwrite, how to do write-ups, how to make a loan look pretty. Um, and so a lot of that has helped me into the lending world um, just because, you know, when I'm out there talking to people, I know exactly what we're looking for. I know exactly what financials we need, and I know how to, to put them in our system. So I'm going to stop you right there. Talk me through one of the biggest lessons you learned from being a bank teller to now loan, you know, loan officer. What what did you take going on that little bit? Because a lot of people would not take that slower trajectory. Right. They wouldn't be, honestly, I, I applaud you for the humility mm -hmm. to say, like, you know, I want to learn the bank. Right. From the beginning to the end. What did you learn through that process of maybe a, what would a lot of people would see as a slower career growth than some? Right. Um, so I would say the biggest thing I learned is you got to be willing to do anything and everything to make to make the bank go. Um, and so. You know, I was I got my hands dirty. I was doing work. You know, I came out uh, of Auburn and started as a teller, which is not a, a normal uh, trajectory. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I learned to to show up every day with a smile on my face, no matter what kind of work I was doing, um, and do anything I was asked of um, to to kind of get to where I am now. Um, and so, a lot of hard work, um, a lot of of time spent doing banking, which I was like, man, I wasn't. I don't think I was meant to do this. Um, but again, my boss had the, the wherewithal to teach me everything that, 
that kind of gets a bank going from, like I said, from taking a deposit all the way to booking a loan mm-hmm. um, and to having those conversations outside with clients. Um, it's been an incredible, incredible journey. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm assuming that your relational, you know, cause there's just because you have a position doesn't mean you have the leadership. Totally. Totally. You know, and I'm assuming that because you have taken the time in the process, you have more relationships, right. you have more knowledge of, of how people are operating, you have a empathy for the person at the front line, right. and so the way you interact with them is different than maybe someone else, right. and I'm sure that has paid off in dividends on your um, leadership in at Riverbank. Right, absolutely. You know, there's kind of a respect factor that comes with starting from the bottom and, yeah. and working your way through. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, it's been really cool to to be able to know, you know, the frustrations and all of the the problems that everyone in the bank deals with. And yeah. So, like you said, I have empathy for kind of the whole process. Yeah. Um, and so, knowing how the process works, I know. You know, if if our loan operations lady can't get to this today because she's got 10 other loans she's working on, I understand that because I've done it. Yeah. Um, and so... You've you know, been in the weeds. Right. I've done it. Right. <laughs> you can't... You And I'm, I'm assuming you can push when you know that, like, hey, like, I think we can actually knock this out. Right. You know, yeah. how can I help you? Mm. Like, can I facilitate this, you know, the structure and get this prepped a little better so that you maybe can get through this this next loan and right. stuff Absolutely. like that? Absolutely. And so. kind of, you know, my time in, in lending assistant role... Um, you know, I'm able to help my loan assistant out now too, because if she, she's got a young daughter and if she needs to take some time off to, yeah. to be with her daughter, I mean, I can step in and, and kind of take her role on for, you know, a couple of days and, and help her out. So that's been a really neat experience for me. Man, that's incredible. So, all right. I want to bridge into basically give me an overview for those that may not talk to Talk to me like I'm five, because mm-hmm. sometimes I act like uh, it. You know? <laughs> let's let's be honest. Uh, when we get hungry, we all kind of act like we're right, five. You right. know, like where's my peanut butter and jelly uh, sandwich? But um, so take me through the basics of understanding the differences between someone who is familiar with a conventional loan. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've purchased their own property. Maybe they've bought a rental or two with a thirty traditional thirty year mortgage because they have a W two and have access to that. Right. Um, take me through that versus how commercial works and the differences and the nuances and some of the stuff that is the same. Right, totally. So in the, the two big numbers we look at on a conventional side or a consumer loan are your credit score and your debt to income. So your, your, your debt to income really is the big number. And I know that that's kind of a, a buzzword. Everybody hears DTI or debt to income. Um, and so your debt to income is you take your gross income um, so your monthly gross and then divide it by your, uh, your monthly debts. And that's kind of how you get your debt to income ratio. Yeah. Um, and so for us, I'm sure this is pretty, pretty, um, industry wide. We look at a 42% debt to income. Um, and so we want your debts to be less than 42% of your income. Um, and, and that's the monthly payments you're monthly. making to that. Right. The cast to be covered. Is that your net or gross income? So that's gross. Okay. Um, so that's a big difference between, uh, commercial and consumers and on the consumer world, we look at gross income commercial world. We do not. Okay. Um, and so that, that is a big difference. Um, but debt to income, you know, 42% is that can, that can, uh, happen fast. Um, so, you know, you're thinking if you got a, 
a pretty stout, you know, first mortgage payment on your home. You got a car payment. You got a couple of credit card payments. And then your debt to income, you know, depending on what you're making, could could skyrocket. And then when you add another property on top of that, you know, that 42 percent is pretty easy to hit. Yeah. Um, and there is some wiggle room there, but we don't like to go much above 42 um, percent. Will you take into account the current income from the property being purchased? towards the income overall or does is that not qualified income yet because it hasn't actually happened so we would look at it from but again if you're buying a a commercial property um we would typically run that on the commercial side correct um and so that's when we wouldn't even look at take debt to income into consideration um so if if you if we know from the beginning that you're buying this as an investment property um, we would go, all right, this is going to be a commercial loan. Let's run this commercially. If you're buying a vacation property, you know, we would then look at it from a consumer debt to income right. ratio. Gotcha. Um, and so the big numbers we look at from a commercial side, um, we look at, we, we, we take credit score and all that into consideration, but we really look at global debt service coverage. Um, and so that's how many times does your income cover your debts. And so our number that we're trying to hit at the bank is 1.25 times. So if your income can cover your debts 1.25 times, then then we're good to go. And again, kind of going back to our conversation earlier, there's a lot more that plays into that. I mean, there's relationships that play into that. Uh, deposits are a big thing that play into that. And so that number, depending on the, the, the client, can you know we can, we can go down a little bit on that number. But it's all about relationships when it comes to that. Yeah, so it's it's amendable. And, and I would say that my understanding of it is also its climate of the current financial right. um, systems and how, right. you know, how expensive is money for you? Right. How expensive, how much riskier is it to borrow? Right. And then that that number of 1.25 can shift maybe marginally down or up, right. but it's not going to, you're not going to be at a one-to-one. No, no, right. If you're a one-to-one, we'd say, you know. <laughs> it's been I, nice knowing right, you. I appreciate your time, uh, but, we're, but this probably isn't right for us. Uh, and it goes back to your experience of underwriting. You probably can hear a deal. Right. And you know it's close. Right, exactly. Or if it's a one-to-one and you're like, hey, man, like, we're not even in the ballpark. Let's not even. Right take the time to underwrite this. Right. And so I know we had these conversations when we, when I first started talking to you before I even knew any of your finances, Hey, look, here's the numbers we have to hit. If we, if we can't get there, then this just kind of is what it is. Right. Um, this kind of goes back to, I think I heard somebody on social media say facts don't have feelings. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so the numbers are the numbers. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there is some wiggle room there. And like I said, deposits and relationship and character that all plays into it. Um, and another big one is, you know, loan to value, loan to cost. Um, you know, if you're going to put down 50% on a house and your your debt service coverage is 1.1, then that looks a lot better to us because we've got we're in a good loan to cost position. Yeah, I mean, for effect, you still have for first position on that property right. if it defaults, mm-hmm. and you're at a 50/50 versus like we'll say an 80/20. Right. And even if you're at 1.1, it's like, well, we can maybe take well, on that risk. this is a good risk. risk for the bank because yeah. of, of the loan to cost. Worst case, we're, we're still good. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so I'll kind of talk through a traditional commercial loan. So if you come to me and you say, hey, I want to buy a $100,000 property. Uh, that My purchase price is $100,000. we are not going to talk about the appraised value yet. So I'll say, okay, as long as numbers work, the traditional loan for us would be 80% loan to cost. Uh, we would probably do a 20-year amortization, 
um, probably somewhere around prime um, and a 1% origination fee. That's kind of baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then that's where negotiations start. And, and sometimes they're like, you know, depending on the property and depending on how much they're putting down and what it appraises for, we could go up to 85% right. uh, loan to cost. Um, if I have a million dollars with your bank, like in deposit, mm-hmm. then that's at 85 might hit because you're like, right. you've like, got a wow. million dollars with us. Right. So if you don't pay this and you've got the money in your account to, to totally pay this property off. Right. If I have $10, uh, then that's it's a very different very, conversation. Very different conversation. And that's <laughs> yeah, when, yeah. you know, if you've got a million dollars in the bank, we'll negotiate a lot more than we would if there yeah. was $10 in the bank. Yeah. It's funny because, you know, in the, the deal of Hueytown mm-hmm. and we're kind of working it through and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I was talking with the seller about kind of bank stuff I was dealing with mm-hmm. and working through. And I was like, hey, I'm here. And he's like, you just you need to talk to more banks. And I and I had to stop him. And I was like, hey, like, I understand there's I can definitely explore and try to find. But I'm going to have the same conversation over and over because you are having conversations with these banks that I can't have. Right. Because you have a company that has x amount of equity and x amount of like output every year mm-hmm. you have these properties so you have the equity in these properties right. you have a backlog of deposits like he's 20 years older than me right. he's got business of 20 years on me right and so the conversations he's having with banks was totally different than the conversations i can have right. you know because i am a riskier person to loan to now am i am i the riskiest no right but i'm also not him right and he was getting rates quoted and he's like oh i bet this bank will give you six percent i'm like they ain't quoting me six percent right. Right, right now right and so um that's partially with the with the rates rising and just some of the other nuances of that deal why it kind of i, I backed off of it but at the end of the day, it it is the commercial space is very much more. We're going to look at your position that you are personally, financially, how your businesses are, all of this thing, like you said, looking at this global perspective, mm-hmm. and then make a call whether we feel like it's a good um, a good loan to make. Basically, right, right, totally. And there's and like I kind of touched on earlier, underwriting and relationship. It's there's an art to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so looking at numbers sometimes doesn't tell the whole story. Um, and, and again, too, when we're looking at somebody who just purchased rental properties, you know, when you look at their tax returns, that doesn't tell the full story. Right. Because it's like, hey, you may only have six months of income, but we're hitting you for a full year of debt. So that's really not fair. So that's when we'll go back and we're like, okay, well, let's, let's write up a pro forma. Let's get your leases and let's look at it that way instead of just taking just the tax return. Right. Um, and so there's ways to, I mean, I guess, like I said, there's an art to it. There's ways to work around a tax return that's not showing, you know, enough income. Right. But again, at the end of the day, the numbers are the numbers and we can only do so much. Well, going back to the line of credit we put, mm-hmm. we put on, let's dig into that. So I came to you, I have a property with a significant amount of equity. Right. And I've used it in the past, I've had a line of credit. Um, on it to leverage to do some flips and different right. you know liquidity stuff, and so when went to you was like hey let's let's up it because of my equity had mm-hmm. increased um, and my other you know maturity date had gone past, and we had the conversation where some of my income on some properties wasn't looking as good because I had bought a portfolio that actually had hit a pretty high vacancy. Um, mm-hmm. 
typically when you buy a portfolio, you can expect about 20 to 30% vacancy. People don't like change. Right. And so when you change it up on them, whether it's property management companies or you try to increase rents or different things, you're going to hit some vacancies. This just happens. Um, the person, if if the portfolio stayed in that person's name, like say they didn't move, they probably would experience ten percent vacancy. Right. So it's not like we're you're hitting a thirty percent. You know, they're probably yeah. going to have a transition or right. two. That's just life. You know, yep. people move. So all that to say, I hit fifty percent, which mm-hmm. is definitely more than I had expected and should have not hit. But it is what it is. We had to look at that and say, okay. What's Todd's history as a you know landlord? Right, is this typical of his properties? Right. No, mm-hmm. it's just this portfolio. Right, and so you were able to kind of work through that. We talked it out. We looked at like you said, lease mm-hmm. dates, some new stuff coming in, and you're like, okay, I think that we can look at this projections and know that we're okay. Yeah, and you educated me on that too, in a sense of, you know, I haven't done a whole lot of portfolio loans when you're buying 10 or 15 properties at a time. Yeah. Um, and you were, you told me that, Hey, look, when you buy a portfolio, there's going to be some properties in there that aren't good. Yeah. And I've got to go in there and fix these properties up and it takes some time to get renters in. Um, and so that was, neat yeah, for me to yeah. Learn. You know, I educated you for once. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep saying it. Let's yeah. just put uh, that on record yeah. and just repeat, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and so that kind of goes like, like, you know, there's an art to underwriting. And I was yeah. able to, you know, you were very easy to work with. And, and anytime I had a question for you, you were right on it or you'd come office and we'd sit and we'd look at numbers. And, and so that's when it comes into, all right, I know you, you're a good dude. I want to, I want to figure this out. And you yeah. were able to get me leases and get me, um, you know, your, your little pro forma that you had written up that showed what's happening and, uh, and kind of your history on, on what you got going. And I was, okay, this is, this is a risk that, that is worth taking for the bank. And again, you know, like you said, you know, you're not the riskiest person. I've been around you a lot and I know your character. Um, and so that kind of played into to our decision of the bank too. I think it was funny when we were talking through Huey town, Brian, actually it was me, you and Brian Mm -hmm. sitting in, in a room and we're talking about the numbers and different things. And and there were, because of interest rates, the deal was tight. Right. Like, and and I was also leveraging, you know, that at the, the property that has the line of credit right. currently, I was looking at leveraging that as an equity piece. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it a little more of a different deal, a little more complicated. Right. We were talking through it. And I thought it was really funny because... You know, I looked at you guys and I was like, I don't buy boats. Right. Not nothing against boat owners. Right, right. But they are expensive, right. you know. Like I I was like, I don't take on debt. Like my only debt, I like I own my cars. Mm-hmm. Like I don't have fancy cars. Mm-hmm. My debt is in houses. Right. And that's my personal house and then rental properties. Right. That literally and you know, I have some floating credit card just because I use credit cards and then pay them right, off right. like on a cyclical month monthly basis. Mm-hmm. But actual debt is only houses. Right. It's only in real estate. Mm-hmm. Like I, I carry no other debt. And, and I was like basically trying to paint a picture. Now you can't completely trust that because people, you know, people are people. And at right. the end of the day, like as soon as you make a loan, they can go make choices. Totally, totally. <laughs> um, but I was trying to paint a picture of like, this is, this is my debt history. Mm-hmm. And if you look past it, like I think I've had a car loan like once. Right, right. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. And I got it paid off early, you right. know. So um, that was one thing. And I think another thing that was funny that I shifted y'all's view or thought is I was like, I need to get the best terms I need on this mm-hmm. deal. 
because you want me with liquidity. Right. And Brian was like, what do you mean? Like, like yeah. we want we want the most locked up in this deal. And I was like, no, liquidity really, in, in my position, the way I invest, liquidity protects the asset that you've loaned on. Right. And that was probably the first time we've ever heard somebody say that. And that's why Brian and I both looked at each other and we were like, huh. That makes a lot of sense, <laughs> right? Because if, if you've got liquidity, that means you can pay us. Correct. Um, and we're not going to get you know sideways or upside down on this because right. uh, we we were able to help you save some money to either put toward another project to make more money right. or to put to, more toward this project, you know, yeah. debts or furnish or, you know, be able to float without a tenant for a while. Correct. Um, and so that was an interesting thing. I've never heard somebody say that. Yeah. And I would say it's specific to the investor right. because the way I handle my liquidity is I save it. You right. know, like I'm not a big spender. Mm-hmm. And like I said, when I spend, I spend mostly on debt, you know, like things that are going to produce more assets, you know, right. not all the time, you know, I'm right. going, I'm going snowboarding here yeah. in, a, in a week. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is not a cheap trip yeah. going back to my home state, uh-huh. Colorado. But, um, but in general, yeah, liquidity, I think it's, it's a, it's a thing that helps you stay in the game long term. Totally. And I would say that most investors that I've, I've talked to and all that, they just don't have enough liquidity. Right. And we're seeing some of them fizzle out in these, what I would consider a little tougher times. Right. Um, and, you know, if I didn't have the liquidity, I would have gotten chewed up by that 50% vacancy. Right. I did. Mm-hmm. It sucked, but I'm still around. Right. Exactly. You know, right. and so, um, so I thought those, those were really fun conversations yeah, totally. that we had. And, and it goes back to, it built a relationship that right. we can have that conversation and you, you know how I think now. Right. And you know that if I've got 40 grand sitting in the bank, it's not slotted for something besides the rainy day. You're not going to buy a boat. <laughs> yeah, there was one. There was one book. Man, I'm trying to think. Um, it was. I, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna quote. It, I'm gonna try it. But the the synopsis of this this guy who basically researched history of catastrophic events, all these different things. He came to the conclusion of two things. Number one is that you'll never be able to predict the next. Um, catastrophic event in it's like how it is like who could have predicted COVID, right like who could have predicted at the mass scale of what it would do to our economies what it would do to people and the sickness and all this kind of stuff what you can predict is that it's that there are events coming right that's the only thing you can predict (laughs) is the rainy day is coming it's just you don't know when and you don't know how bad it's going to be but what you can predict is it's, it's coming. coming. Right, right. <laughs> and so I think that that goes back to how long do you want to stay in this game mm-hmm. and you need to have liquidity for that rainy day. Yeah, totally. So, um, so this is really helpful. I want to uh, I, I want to ask this question, um, and it's kind of an interesting segue into another interview I had, which I want to kind of talk about. Mm-hmm. But talk to me about how you view out-of-state investors versus local investors. Right. Do you even work with out-of-state investors? Is it a big, like, how do banks see it, and how does River Trust see it? Yeah, so being a community bank, we want to serve our community. Um, and so that's that's number one for us. And so we want to do stuff like, you know, have our Christmas party and, and, and you come. Yeah. Um, and an out-of-state investor, it gets a little tricky um, because I've looked at some stuff where an out-of-state investor has more money than he knows what to do with, and it'd be a great risk for the bank, but it's a one-off deal. And we're not really looking for one-off deals. Um, and so if an out-of-state investor came to me 
and they said, Hey, I want to, I heard Birmingham is a great market for investment properties. And I want to buy uh, a commercial building over in, in downtown. I would say, okay, well, um, do you plan on keeping any de deposits with us? And I would say 90% of the time they're like, well, no, you know, I'm living in Boston and I want to come and, and take advantage of Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And that's when I would say, well, hey, look, we're not interested. You probably want to go to a bigger bank for something like that. Um, and I'll direct them to who I think they would work great with and right. say, hey, this deal's not for <clears> us. But if somebody come, came to me and said, hey, look, you know, I've got some family in Birmingham. I live in New York, but, you know, I want to do some deals in Birmingham and I'll, I want to move my deposits to you. Then, okay, let's talk. Mm -hmm. um, not saying that we'll be able to get something done. Um, just because the out-of-state just brings in a whole nother level for us. Because then we say, okay, we've only got so much money to lend out, and why would we take up some money to lend to somebody in New York when we can lend to somebody that's right here in Birmingham? Um, and so, Who will probably do a deal, if you treat them right, do more, more deals. deals right? yeah. And so if yeah, somebody's yeah. looking, okay, hey, look, I got, I got ties to Birmingham. I went to, you know, I went to the University of Alabama. I got my parents live in Birmingham. And, you know, I've moved off to New York, but I want to do some deals in Birmingham. Then it's go, okay, you've got some ties here. Yeah. You know, this is more something we'd want to look at. Uh, but if you're coming to do a one-off deal, we're not yeah. interested. So was it tough because I'm from Colorado? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'd you're be, like, you don't have the accent. Right. To, 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 you're out. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, no, that's that's helpful because I have heard that and I've gotten that feedback. I don't think anybody's really described it that way mm -hmm. as as well as you have. Um, but a lot of local banks, you know, when when you know, because we do help out of state investors buy and sell here in right. Birmingham, and they say, man, like I just can't. It's really hard to get in with a local bank, and right. oftentimes they don't want to do the deal. And I'm like, and I've kind of just understood that that's a thing, right? But I I don't know if I've really fully understand that, and it makes sense from a deposits and from a community standpoint, and from a, a, a you know, if if someone came to you and said, hey, I'm building a long term relationship, I'm going to go ahead and throw 50k in your bank. And I'm going to let it sit, mm -hmm. and I'm going to call you in a year. Yeah, then we'll be like, oh, let's talk. Mm -hmm. And then, and then in that year, I'm going to do a deal with you, mm -hmm. and we'll see. It'll be a small deal. I'm going to build that relationship, and in five years, I want to be doing big deals with you. Right. That would be a totally different totally conversation different. Yep. because they're proving to you that they're committed to your bank and to building that relationship right. versus the one-off. Right, and a lot of times the out-of-town investors somehow get my number, don't know how, and they call me and say, hey, found your number online and and saw that you're with River Bank and Trust and, and I want to buy our rental property. I'm like, well, man, I don't know you. You don't know me. Yeah. And you're looking for a one-off deal, so we're not interested. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of times I've looked at numbers, and I'm like, man, this would be a great deal for the bank. I mean, yeah, this yeah. guy crushes it. This is a great risk to take. Yeah. But being a community bank, that's not what we're here to do. So what would your advice be to out-of-state investors who either, A, want to build a relationship? Mm -hmm. Let's just start there. Mm -hmm. You want to build a relationship. I kind of threw a, an idea out there. Yeah. What would you like to see from an out-of-state investor Deposits. if they— Okay. So if you come show in, me the money, <laughs> if you come in and say, "Hey, look, I want to build a relationship with you. Yeah. I know I don't live here, but I want a community bank in Birmingham to to help me out with my my goals." And I say, "All right, let's get a deposit relationship going. You know, let's somehow figure out how to get you to Birmingham. Let's meet uh, because if you're buying properties in Birmingham, you probably need to come look at the properties yeah. in Birmingham. Yeah. So when you're in town, let's meet 
and then let's kind of get a feel for each other and then go from there. But deposits are, are very big to all community banks, not just us, just because mm-hmm. that's where the relationship starts. Yeah. I mean, if you want us to just lend you money, even if you're in Birmingham, we're probably not the right fit. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, a lot of people don't realize that deposits are what we lend out. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense to us to just lend money out because then that's not how a good bank functions. Mm-hmm. Um, so if all we're doing is lending, then you know at some point we're going to run out of those deposits to lend. Um, and so we're real big on any type of relationship right now. Let's get a deposit relationship going. Yeah. Um, and I know we had that conversation from day one, mm-hmm. um, saying like, Hey, look, I'd love to work with you, but the only way we're going to work with you is if, if you move some deposits to us. And which I still need to move the money. <laughs> <laughs> but we're in process. We're in process. That's we created right. the account. That's so right. yeah, I'm actually moving. Mm-hmm. So I have, um, one of my LLCs, which, which really holds all my real estate realtor mm-hmm. side of income and everything. I had run that through my personal right. and and actually one of the objectives for this year was to clean up some of my finances mm-hmm. and and honestly like get the buckets in the right buckets right. you know and so that's what I'm moving over mm-hmm. to you guys is is my basically my LLC income um, on the day to day is going right. to start rotating well, through your bank I'm so. keep working on you. <laughs> he's like I want all the business <laughs> um, no that's super huge so if you are not necessarily in the Mindset of like, I want to create a long-term relationship mm-hmm. with the community bank, which is fine. What would your recommendation be to a out-of-state investor to build a relationship with maybe a larger commercial bank to still get some deals done, you know, like a Regions or whatever right. it is, you know, like what what does that look like? Yeah, and what are some tips you know, there? I would probably call a big bank um, and because they, you know, the bigger banks have so much deposits just because, you know, what happens in banking is, you know, whoever you set your checking account up when you're 16 years old and your lifeguard and get your first paycheck is normally who you bank with for your the rest of your life. Yeah. And so the big banks have all those checking accounts. And, you know, those people, a lot of people only maybe have a mortgage and they're not investing. And so, you know, they're they're just deposits for them. And so they're the big banks are more willing to go lend out to to a out of state investor. Um, but the one thing about the bigger banks, um, is they're kind of revolving door when it comes to the relationship managers. Um, and so sometimes it's hard to build a relationship, um, just because there's so much movement in bigger banks. Um, and so, you know, if you're trying to build a long-term relationship where you have your banker on speed dial, I mean, I would say community banks the way to go, Yeah. but out of state investors may not have that opportunity mm-hmm. uh, because they're looking for one-off deals. So I would start with the big boys, Yeah. call a PNC, call a Truist, call a Regions and, and go from there. And you may just have to ultimately realize that that is your pathway. And every time you want to do a loan, you you start at square one. Right. And you have to manage shop have it to, around. You and, shop it around and you hand out your financials and you just right. really do the grind work every single time versus like you already have my financials. Right. I'm going to you're gonna be my first call. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you even knew that, but um you're not on speed dial. Right. <laughs> I'm not on your top five favorite. <laughs> Remember uh, MySpace yeah. when you had like what was it a top eight or right, something so like that? A before my time. Oh man, see now <laughs> dating me. Okay, so it was so funny because it, it was similar to Facebook. I don't even know if you can you can pick top friends on Facebook. I don't think uh, you can. You maybe could have. But but there was a space on MySpace. I'm dating myself, uh-huh. but this is really funny because 
you would you could select who was in that. Right. And it was almost like what is currently now relationship status right. for like, you know, uh Facebook, you know, like uh, I'm dating this person uh, now. Like if you liked a girl or a guy, um, you would put them in your top yeah. and you move them kind of uh, like edge them into the yeah. top eight, you know, That's and funny. and then it was like, oh man, like there's something there. Yeah. It was it was really funny. But um all that to say is yes, you will be a call. I'll be like, hey, this is the deal I'm working on. What, you know, you already got my financials. Right. You already, we already have deposits. We already have loan. Like, I'm not having to start at square one with you. How can we get this deal done? Right. And I'm going to be less concerned about, hey, Jack, we need to be a half a point lower. Right. Like the deal is, you know what I mean? Like for me now, I want that half a point. Right. 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 <laughs> but I realize, like, I'll probably get that half a point or point on a loan in five years mm-hmm. if we keep on doing deals together. Right. Um, and that just comes with time, right. you know, cause like I said, I, I know there's a guy who flips in town and he's, he's got so much money moving around moving pieces and, and a lot of equity, obviously. Um, I mean, he can write big checks mm-hmm. at the drop of a hat, but he works with a local bank and that's his go-to and the rates he can get are, I mean, he can get up to a 30 year AM. Right. Which is crazy. Crazy, yeah. Um, his his rate one time while he was quoting me rates of just roughly what he could get, and they were two points lower than I could get. Yeah. And it's just like at that point, your money. I mean, your money's making you money, you totally. know. Totally. So, um, but it didn't start there. Right. He's been flipping for thirty years, mm-hmm. and he's probably had the same banker for thirty years. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I think he had. Yeah. And so, um, talk me through. Sorry, I want to circle back. An interesting thing that I did learn from another guy. The banks, so he was, he's specifically on the Gulf Gulf Coast in Orange Beach. And only local banks will lend. Right. Because of this. The HOAs and the condos are Mm -hmm. so complex, only local banks understand them to underwrite them. Right. Does that make sense? Right. So it's like all it's a it's like a flip flop mm-hmm. for them because the local community banks and, and everyone surrounding are the only ones who understand that real estate. Right. And so they have to mm-hmm. almost loan on their own community. Right. Um, and so they work with out-of-state people because that's obviously a lot of right. vacation yeah. homes and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if someone were to say, come to you and say, hey, I want to buy a Gulf Coast commercial property, you probably would do it, but you don't have necessarily as much chops in t- calling the HOA and hounding them, you right. know, saying, I need these documents and right. I need this, you know, and line it all up. And it it would be something kind of to that is we'll do the deal, but I didn't may not have understood all that goes into it with the HOA stuff. Yeah. And so that could end up getting us in trouble on the back end <laughs> yeah. because we don't understand it. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I actually had, that's interesting you brought up HOAs. I had a client uh, not too long ago tell me that he bought his first investment property was in a, uh, a condo uh, or a condominium complex. And yeah. um, he said that there was a, a leak in the roof on, on a unit that wasn't even close to his unit. But since they shared the same roof, they had to replace the entire roof. Yep. And so he had to come out, you know, I'll say like $5,000 to pay his portion of the roof. And he's like, well, man, that was my profit for the whole year. Um, and so that is interesting that these HOAs can get complicated and that stuff like that kind of comes into play uh, when you're dealing with with HOAs. 
Yeah, it's it's it was just a flip on, like I said, because here in Birmingham, all I've heard is local banks really want to stay local. Mm-hmm. They want to work with local right. people. And there it's like, no, I mean, you, you kind of have to work with the bank. And so they work right. with out-of-state yeah. people all the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously a lot of people from out-of-state are buying their vacation home totally. or investment mm-hmm. properties right. on the beach. So and, they kind of have to loosen up their guidelines because of, of the, I guess, the the scenario they're in of, of they are more vacation out-of-town people. So... I mean, you yeah. know, there's not maybe not enough locals to to just be you know local bank. Well, and it makes me wonder if in those processes of doing those deals, there is some minimum deposit requirements. Right. There is mm-hmm. some you know like you got to open an account. Mm-hmm. Talk me through, you know, as I've gotten this in this commercial space, as I've learned more about building relationships with bankers like you, I have a few. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to say it, but I've got a few a few commercial bankers right, that I have a relationship right, right. with, you know. Um, uh, and by the way, they've taken me golfing, yeah. and I've yet to uh, get on on the the course uh, with you. So just just dropping a yeah. little, little hint there, but I, I know it. you're part of the country uh, club at Hoover. Uh, so I just you know I, I'm it's goals for 2024. Right, that's right. <laughs> when it warms up a little bit, we'll get you out there. But uh, how many? relationships do you feel like would be good to have? I feel like at, I kind of know where I'm comfortable and mm-hmm. I'm kind of realizing like I don't necessarily want another bank account. Right, right. <laughs> like I've already got enough bank accounts. I'm actually trying to consolidate and right. bring my money local and kind of learn from what I've learned from you. Like right. I have several bank accounts with um, Capital 360 because mm-hmm. It's really easy. You can like literally just like click, click, click and open up five accounts. And I kind of use it the way I organize my Mm. funds. It just is helpful for me to be out of sight, out of mind. So, but all that to say is I've thought I just really need to take all that money and bring it local. Right. Um, How many banking relationships would you say is beneficial that is going to give you the opportunities that you need? Right. But ultimately still not be so in. 50 different places that each of those banks are like, eh, we don't want to touch it because your funds are here and here right, and here right. and here. Does that make out. sense? Yeah. Um, so selfishly, I would say, one. Every, right, <laughs> bring it all with me. Um, but no, you know, I would think, you know, two or three it would be is healthy just because it kind of breeds some healthy competition um, in a sense of, you know, we may be offering you prime and then somebody comes and says, you call me and says, hey, I got a term sheet from, uh, central state that they're at, you know, prime minus a quarter. Right. And it's like, okay, well either, and you're like, well, you either got to be there or, or beat it or I'm going there. And right. it's like, then we'll take a step back and say, okay, um, you know, here's where we're at as a yeah. bank. And do we want to go, you know, g- get a little skinny on our rate to get this deal? Right. Um, so it breeds a little healthy competition. So, I mean, you know, two or three, I wouldn't say any more than three. I'm, I'm with you. I'm kind of at that place where I've got several local banks that I've opened up because I've done deals with, you know, different ones and, and I'm kind of at this point where I'm like, I want to consolidate. Mm. I want to get the majority of my accounts with, with, um, banks that I am doing consistent business with. And then, um, for the most part, just go to those two or three options Mm -hmm. and just say, this is the deal I have. How can you help me? And then, you know, basically figure it out from there rather than just, you know, keep on trying to source another bank, another bank, mm-hmm. and just chasing 
an extra half a point, right? You know, right. on a an origination fee or something right. like that. The it, time you would spend, it's right. just it's just not worth mm-hmm. it to me. And we kind of take the the standpoint too of of we provide service that you can't get a lot of other places. Yeah. So you know if our if our um, uh, origination fee or our our uh, rate is a little bit higher, then you know you're kind of paying for that service, um, and so. You know, we may go get to a point where it's like, well, hey, look, you know, we can't beat that. But, you know, you like working with me and you know how we would do as a bank and you like all the people up front and you like dealing with my assistant. So, you know, is that quarter of a point worth it for you? Yeah. Um, and so we're not going to be we're not out there trying to be the lowest rate in town. Right. Just because of the service that we provide from a, you know, a, a banking standpoint. Well, and I think, too, you have we've had conversations about you guys are willing to think a little more outside the box than other banks. So I think that is part of that customer service of the conversations, you know, the extra time. I mean, we talked several times about Hueytown and never did a deal. You didn't make a dime Mm -hmm. out. Probably you spent hours on that deal Mm -hmm. and, you know, hopefully you did on the line of credit, you know, but, and the future deals, Mm -hmm. But that comes back to that customer service of like, yeah, we, let's have conversations about these potential options. Absolutely. So, um, Hueytown, mm-hmm. let's let's dive into it just a little bit from a banking standpoint. You know, I've talked about on the podcast mm-hmm. why I did not do the deal. Um, it's funny because every not every day, but there are days I still feel like it was a fifty fifty deal, right. and I just chose one mm-hmm. part of that coin. There's some days where I'm like, man, I should have done that deal. Right. Other days I'm like, I'm glad I didn't do that right, deal. Right. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, I I kind of come from a place of where there's just opportunity around the corner. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, th- my trajectory is not void of opportunity. Right. I think there were some things that were great about that potential opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think there were also some things about that that, was not my long-term plan right and i would have had to really cull down that um, portfolio a good bit mm-hmm. i would have had to do a lot of selling to eventually get right. where i wanted to be on the actual properties to keep mm-hmm. and i could have done it right but was that the best use of my time right and that's kind of where i came down to so um all that to say is talk me through how you saw that deal and what were the some of the things you liked about it, mm-hmm. and what were some of the things you did not like about it? Because yeah. now that we haven't done the deal, right. I think you can be a little yeah. more like open, like, "Hey, right. I didn't love this. Right. You know, I was willing to do it, but I didn't right. love this part of it, or other parts that you were like, "No, this actually was really great the way you thought of this or structured mm-hmm. this, so that I can have feedback for my future." This is a selfish conversation. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> um, so when you first brought us the deal, uh, there was a lot going on. So it kind of took me a second to take a step back, send me all your documents, let me get yeah. in my office, and let's look at this and kind of see where it's at. So, And in your own words, r- briefly talk about the structure of the, the deal, the equity piece, all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, so you were going to pull some equity out of a home that, that you had really good equity in, and that was going to kind of be your down payment toward us. Um, and so we were going to take that, I guess that 20% or we were, there's going to be enough equity to have 20% down on the deal from that house. Um, and then was there what, 10, 11 properties? It was, it was 17 doors. Um, but one of them was, one a, of them was, was kind of not door. a true, true yeah. it was a really a three door and yeah. not a four door, um, but yeah. 
So um, we were going to take pull the equity out of, of one house and put it as the down payment on the deal. Um, and then I think we were going to go, I can't remember, it was 85%. I think we were at 80. 80. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we were going to be right at prime with a 1% origination. Um, so so pretty standard from our conversation a minute ago, pretty right. standard commercial loan terms. Um, and I think 20-year AM. Um, and so some things I liked about it was your history in in uh, real estate. I mean, you've, you've proven that you can handle a portfolio. Um, cause you're dealing with one now and it's, it's, it's trending upward. Um, the guy that was running it, it didn't seem to me that he would have put as much effort into upgrading the, the properties as you would have. Um, maybe I'm wrong on that. I don't mm-hmm. know the guy. Um, mm-hmm. but it seemed like you were going to get in and fix some things up and be able to up rents. Um, and then, you know, I guess one thing that I, I wouldn't say didn't love, but one thing I was going to keep my eye on was the vacancy that you're going to have to have to fix those properties up. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of when you started talking about, hey, I need to keep my liquidity. Don't squeeze me out of this. Because I think maybe our first conversation was maybe 70% loan mm. to cost. I think so, um, yeah. And so, and that's something we threw out just to see if you were serious about the deal. Um, because if you'd have been like, uh, well, no, I really need to be at 90, then we wouldn't have, you know, that's like, well, hey, yeah. we're, we're not close. <laughs> Um, but you know, 80 is totally, totally fair game. Right. And so, you know, that was when, when you came in and said, well, I'm going to fix some of these properties up. I'm going to have to turn these, some of these are going to turn over. And so it may not cash flow one-to-one, at least one-to-one in the first year or so. Mm-hmm. And that's when you're kind of like, I need my liquidity to do this. So don't squeeze me down to 70%. Yeah. Um, so that was probably the biggest thing that was, again, it wasn't that we didn't like it because this happens when you do portfolios, yeah. but it's something we had to keep an eye on. Um, and I'm trying to think one thing I think that y'all gave me feedback, which I had some, some mixed feelings about as well, mm-hmm. the commercial side of it. Yeah. So there was a commercial building right. in this portfolio. Um, it was four doors, quote unquote, mm-hmm. it really was truly three with like kind of a back storage area. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was merging residential with commercial. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like most of the banks I talked to did not want to have them in a co-loan, right. like a loan together. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think co-loan is actually a term. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm following you. <laughs> but they were saying like, hey, we'll do a commercial loan and we'll do a, a separate residential. Right. Well, the problem was the equity piece I was bringing was a single equity piece. Right. We were going to cash it out basically mm-hmm. and – Included in the overall loan of right. the whole thing, right? And I needed that to, and I also that commercial building cash flowed a little bit more than the debt it was taking mm-hmm. on, so I kind of needed it to offset right. some of these other properties that the rents needed to be upped on. And so the deal as a whole worked, but you started dicing and splicing and right. started to fall apart. And you guys were the only ones. Well, there was another bank, but you guys were open to the conversation of how we can merge them. Right. That said, I think it brought a complexity to the deal where we're kind of underwriting two separate asset classes. Right. And it made for a little bit more complicated, even on my end of mm. like, how does this stabilize? And right. what happens if I go mm. vacant here? And like, what happens if a roof goes out on the commercial? Mm. Cause that's a lot more expensive than a roof going out on a residential property. Right. So how does this all balance out? And it was one of those things that was, even for me, a hurdle that was hard to get over. 
And so the way that we look at these kind of deals um, and being at a community bank, being able to get creative, um, and it sounds like you might have had some difficult with other community banks on this idea, but we kind of look at it as purpose-driven. So what are you doing with these properties? Um, okay. So they were all a commercial, you know, commercially driven. In a yeah, sense yeah, of yeah. Like you weren't buying the other 10 doors to be or the other, you know, the more residential properties to be a vacation home. You know what I'm saying? So it was all to make money. Right. Um, and so that's kind of how we looked at it is, okay, so this is all pur- purpose-driven for commercial. So we don't have a problem of of putting this all in one. Um, but I do remember Brian had a good point that um, I thought was a good point. You may not have, but the commercial property was to pull the survey to see who owned what. Because I think there wasn't a survey done, or you didn't, right. have, or he didn't. The, the original owner didn't have one, so he was making sure that you know you own the parking lot with the building, and not that it wasn't someone else's parking lot, and you just owned the four doors. Um, I thought that was a good point that he brought up there. He um, he had also talked about like, hey, do you have any um, like uh, geological, like right. I don't even know if that's the right word, but like some other tests done on the property because when you get into commercial some of that's important right because like because was it a gas station way back in the day and is there underground tanks that could right. cause you problems down the road yeah or stuff like that so that he's you know that's what you get when you've been in banking for 30 or 40 years you kind of yeah. you know that he's probably been bitten by something by that in the past um and so he he knows how to ask those questions and we probably if we had gotten further down the road those answers those questions would have had to right, be answered totally. which would have been fine totally. um but i think that would have been good because it would have covered your back covering my back because right. like say we we do the deal and then i try to sell it on the back end and it was a gas station before right. i didn't know it mm-hmm. the guy who i bought it from didn't know it but all of a sudden for whatever reason you know, something changes in the book for Hueytown mm-hmm. where you have to have these surveys or something happens. Right. And then all of a sudden you can be stuck with that in your portfolio right. because sell it and maybe not cash flow anymore. <clears throat> yeah. Somebody moved out and then, you know, what do I do with this property? Yeah. Um, and you're, you're up a river. So right. those due diligence are, and that was, I think the variable that was like, we could definitely dig in and solve that. Um, but it was definitely a hurdle. Right. That and that's a I couple thousand dollars hurdle to get those tests done. So yeah. it's one of those things that, you know, do I want to spend five grand to get all these, you know, these ground tests done and then hear the news that I didn't want to hear. And then now I'm just, all right, I was just wasted $5,000. Yeah. I mean, I don't look at it as waste. I look at it as um, opportunity costs. Right. You know, I mean, I did a deal in um, uh, Homewood where I made some mistakes on earnest money and mm. I lost five grand on yeah. it. I was, I went in hot with yeah. the non refundable. Uh, and um, I, you know, sometimes I think the sting of those moments actually like help you know, the bigger picture of like, you know, I learned a lot more from that. Right. And there was $5,000 attached to that right, lesson. Right. So I feel it, right, you know, totally. and, um, and it's, I think it's going to help inform, inform my future, mm. you know, for sure. So, um, this has been like, I mean, I, I think the depth of understanding that you have, I feel like we just got the tip of the iceberg, mm-hmm on some of the commercial stuff, but I think it is really helpful to understand that commercial banking effectively does not have to have the same restrictions. And so it is more about deposits. Right. It's about relationships mm-hmm. and longevity of, the re- right. of that relationship. Right. Um, talk me through what, I always like asking this question, 
because we we have this conversation, we we you know dialogue about things. What do I? I guess what questions should I be asking about commercial baking, or what do I not know that I don't know? Right. Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, I feel like every time we talk, I'll say something. You're like, wow, I, I, that's something I didn't know. I just don't know a lot. Right. So. No, no. <laughs> um, oh, man, that's a good one. You may have stumped me there. Because um, at the end of the day, there's a lot of similarities. Right. Underwriting, like mm-hmm. you said, at the end of the day, a loan has to have debt service coverage. Right. But, like, how is a decision made in the commercial world? Like, residential like conventional loan it goes through the process they underwrite it it hits mm. the mark it doesn't hit the mark there's restrictions for a good reason because right. there was a lot of bias in banking mm. early on allowing some people not totally, to get yeah. loans and other right. people to get loans mm. and it's very it's very sad right um but commercial is different because obviously it's a business right so who's making these final calls yeah, on so, these loans? Okay, that's a, that's a great question. So I guess to back it up a little bit, with the the consumer world, I mean, if you don't hit the the debt-to-income ratio, there's really not much I can do about it. There's yeah. not a story I can tell. <laughs> there's not, you know, a pretty – I can't put pretty words on a piece of paper to make it look good. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If the numbers don't work, they don't work. Yeah, yeah. And so that kind of goes back to the, what you just said about some bias in banking that was, that was totally sad and – I'm glad that we don't have this into place, and you know. But then again, on the on the flip side of that, if somebody calls me and it's somebody that I don't really want to do business with, it's somebody that my personality and their personality don't work at all, um, and but their numbers work on a consumer side, you have to do it. Yeah, you can't just say no. We're not we're not a good fit, Um, and so there is a give and take on that. Um, But it's it's a good give and take. Yeah, Um, and then on the the commercial world. Um, so there is some approval process. So the way it works at our bank, and I'm, I know every bank's different because the bank I used to work for was different. Um, but my our market president, so Brian, my boss, can approve up to five hundred thousand, um, and that's total exposure. Um, and so, like, if you have a loan for three hundred, and you come and get another loan for three hundred, your total exposure is now six hundred. He um, can't approve that right, secondary so, loan, right? Because so the exposure approve, goes over goes his over limit. his limit. So. Anything under five hundred, I'll underwrite it up and and get it to him, and then we'll have a conversation about it, and then you know he'll either say let's do it or let's not do it. Anything over over five hundred, um, up to two million, um, goes to uh, two members of our senior loan committee. Um, so our loan committee is all of our executive management in the bank, um, and so if a deal, I guess we'll get there in a second, but um, any member, two members of, of senior loan committee can approve up to two million. Um, and so when, when it goes over 500, it normally takes, there's a, there's another depth you got to go to. You got to sometimes write up a, like a longer, uh, memo on the deal. Um, so it just gets, it makes it a little bit more complicated and it takes a little bit longer to get done. Yeah. Um, and then anything over 2 million, we have to present to our loan committee. Yeah. Um, and so that is, you know, you get a deal ready, uh, you have to have it submitted to our, our loan committee group by Friday. Um, and then we present on Tuesday mornings. And at no point is the actual loanee, mm-hmm. I don't even know that's a word, right. like I'm not going to the committee. You're not, no. Mm-hmm. So effectively, you are my representative. Absolutely. And and it's funny because I've been asked by you and other commercial bankers, they were like, give me a write-up, give me a history, right. give me yep. a thing. And I actually have a like PDF with mm-hmm. a picture of my family right. and like a little bit of my info. You already <laughs> sent it to me. I already had all um, I needed. But uh, 
But I learned that through just these conversations right. because you're having to effectively say, this is who Todd is. Right. Like, mm-hmm. here's the numbers, but who is Todd as a person? Right. Like, has he been in jail before? Right, right. <laughs> Not that that would exclude someone. Mm-hmm. They could have turned their life around, but that is a part of their story. Absolutely. It's like, no, this person has actually made a huge shift in their life. Now they're this big real estate investor, and right. it's like, wow, that's that's amazing. But did he do that yesterday, or right. did he do that 14 years ago? Right. Two totally different stories mm-hmm. of someone's choices they make in their life, right. and you have to do that mm-hmm. on the part. So, so I would encourage anyone you know thinking about doing a commercial loan, give them that personal information, give them a write up of all the properties you own right. and and the history of those properties mm-hmm. and how you have managed them, so that you have more ammo to go into these committees and stuff and and have these conversations. Right. And that's when it you know really falls back to relationship. I mean, you know, if 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 I had a guy that called me. And I didn't know him, and you know, he seemed like he was a good guy. And I took it to loan committee and didn't know anything about him. And they start asking me questions, and I'm like, "Well, you know, I don't know." And they're going to be like, "Well, I don't know if we should do the deal, right? Because if you don't know anything, if about you don't him, know, him, then why, why, why would we give this guy two million dollars? Right, right. Um, and so the the character piece is huge. Um, and so getting getting a relationship with your banker um, is big when it comes to these deals that, that can get up in size. Yeah. Do you feel like, I mean, Hueytown was up there. I mean, it was a loan size of 900. Yeah. It was like, or maybe it's eight something. Uh I mean, was that almost like a little presumptuous of me to want to try to get a loan? Like the first off of that size? You know, no, because, you know, we kind of take a, uh, a stance of if it makes sense to the bank, then yeah. we'll do it. And so okay. the deal made sense. I mean, the numbers worked, and and you were willing to come up there anytime we asked you to either hang out or look at numbers. Or um, so I got to know you pretty well in that you know month or two that we were we were talking about the deal. Yeah. Um, you know, if you'd have said let's get nine hundred thousand dollars, and then you sent me the numbers and it not, it didn't work. Maybe that would have been a little yeah you know, yeah a little hard um, ask. But the if if everything worked and and you were willing to move deposits to us and um, you know you were probably going to set up all your rent roll through us on that deal, um, then no, I mean it's okay. This is super helpful. So so different tiers basically right. get different committee level right. of need to get things approved right. basically mm-hmm. and push through. Um, Wow, this has been super helpful. Yeah. Man, I, I appreciate it so much. I Hopefully it's helped people understand as they move into either purchasing portfolios um, or, you know, even working with um, having moving away from W2. Like, mm-hmm. you're going to have to get into commercial banking right. at some point. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm hoping that this opens up the door for people to understand um, basically how it works, that it is different. And that there's nuances to it. And if you learn those nuances, you can be more successful. Um, and at the end of the day, it, network is your net worth. Right. Like, I mean, Absolutely. whether it's banking or or if it's buying real estate or, you know, connecting with wholesalers, like all of it mm-hmm. at the end of the day is who do you know and and can you get the deals done yeah. and and ultimately make everybody win, you right. know. So um, I appreciate your time. Tell me how people can uh, get a hold of you and uh, a little bit about your bank, like how, how they can kind of work with you. Yeah, so I'll give a little two-minute synopsis on Riverbank. Um, so we were uh, created in 2006. Um, our CEO 
left a previous bank and wanted to start his own and ended up through family and friends was able to raise $25 million. Um, nice and, family and yeah, friends. Yeah, so I was about to say, probably a lot of family <laughs> and friends. Um, but, you know, th- that just says people believed in him and they believed in, yeah. in his family and who he was as a person. And and, um, and they got this bank off the ground, and it was only in the River Region. So that's why it's called River Bank and Trust. The River Region of Alabama was Wetumpka, Montgomery, and Prattville. Um, and so they started there. Um, and then now looking at 2023, we've just hit $3.2 billion in assets um, which which tells you we're big enough to do anything you want us to do, but we're small enough to still answer our phone. Um, and so that, I think that's kind of a, you know, being able to get your banker on the phone is is a, a cool thing that we pride ourselves on. Um, I think we have 25 locations now in the state. Wow. Um, so we're everywhere from Huntsville all the way down to Mobile. Um, I, I think our next move um, – and and don't quote me on this. I didn't. Yeah, it's didn't official, us, man. Uh, for all the our, listeners out there, <laughs> our, our next move would kind of move to the the west side of the state. I don't think we're anywhere over there. So yeah, that's great. Um, so I would think that that would be our next our next move is to get over in the west side of the state. Um, in Birmingham, I mean, the, this branch hasn't been open but too long. Yeah, we so we started kind of interesting start. So when you start a bank in in a market. Um, you don't just build a big old Taj Mahal and, and, and move in the next day. So we actually started as a loan production office in, I want to say it was like the 10th floor of the Galleria Tower. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all had little desks and cubicles, and we were just slinging loans. Um, so we did that for about six months and then got to our um, temporary location now, uh, which is across the street from Mark's Outdoors on Highway 31. I hope it's not temporary. It's right around the I corner know, it's from my house. To everybody. It's so uh, such uh, a great location. Having a bank in a strip mall is, is kind of a it is a little uh, different, unique, but uh, but uh, but we're I'm not opposed to it. Right, okay. totally. <laughs> uh, so we're planning on eventually building something. I don't know where yet. It'll be somewhere in the in the metro area. Yeah. Um, and so we'll build a nice building and um, get in there probably in the next you know two to five years. Nice. Um, and then, uh, well, you can reach me, um, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, talk and throw you my cell phone number. Um, and that's probably the easiest way to get me is, is text me or, or email me. Um, and, uh, I'm normally, if I don't respond immediately, I'll get back to you within an hour or so. Uh, unless I'm skiing or yeah, uh, yeah, 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 you know, bird hunting or <laughs> yeah, playing yeah. golf, doing the important things that's in right. life, building so. relationships. <laughs> Man, I like I said, I appreciate you taking the time to yeah. come in and connect. I've learned every single conversation mm-hmm. we had. That's why I knew I had to have you on the podcast because I learned something new from you every time, and I think it just. Uh, you know, goes to show your willingness to help people mm-hmm. like you're a service oriented person and you do it, you happen to do it through banking. Mm-hmm. Like, and, um, so I appreciate your time. I appreciate you always educating me, uh, us getting the deal done. Yeah. Um, even though it wasn't Huey mm-hmm. town and, uh, and just, you know, continue to look forward to, you know, a productive and, um, you know, business relationship. Yeah. And maybe maybe at some point we'll go skiing together. Yeah, I don't absolutely. know. We'll see I'd if we to. can well, man, do that I, out. But I, the golf links is yeah, the next yeah, one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I'd like to ask you one question before we end. Oh, man. Um, yeah, sure, sure. So I recently looked at a deal um, where a guy was going in and leasing properties and then airbnb those properties. 
Um, and I had no idea. Under, I'd never seen that being done. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? So that, yeah, effectively what he's doing is arbitrage, right. you know? Um, and so uh, it is a, I don't have a ton of experience. Mm. I have one midterm rental. Right. Um, and that was in effect, the point of it was to basically get the experience. Right. And so ended up having a tenant who, uh, who's been there for a little bit longer, which is great. It's actually a really great situation, but it has not allowed me to have like that midterm slash short term experience of turning people over and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So I don't have a ton of experience in that. That said, um, I think two things about it. I think it is a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think it is a wealth creation tool. Right. Just from a – now, this is maybe not answering your your business, the banking side mm-hmm. of it, but from a investor side of it, why I don't like it. So in my opinion, a lot of times the investment game is about equity. Right. So in the short term, a lot of people say cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. Well, houses are very expensive to maintain. And so for the most part, I think cash flow does get used at some point for the rainy day. And that's what it should be saved for. And your equity spread happens two ways or multiple ways. You know, obviously you have the tax benefit, but really the big ways are are increase of real estate, you know, appreciation. Right and the debt getting paid down. Mm-hmm. And so you have this slow, you know, div, you know, right. divide so happening, yeah. and that's your equity piece. Right. You keep a property for five, 10 years, the spread is significant, mm-hmm. and then you pull out and you're like, wow, I made money. Right. Um, so the problem with arbitrage is you don't control the real estate. Right. And the beauty of Airbnb, in my opinion, is that you can buy higher end, more expensive assets mm-hmm. And the the income can pay down more debt, mm-hmm. so you can buy that million dollar you know cabin in you know Pigeon Forge, and actually cover a million dollars worth of debt service mm-hmm. with income from that Airbnb. Right, and then the cabin's going up in appreciation, and your debt's getting paid down. Arbitrage does none of that. Right, it just spits out cash flow. Right. And so, in my opinion, it is a business, and it's a viable business. There's lots of people who arbitrage. But to me, it is losing, like, the golden goose of why you would even think about Airbnb. Right. Like, why are you going to go through all this hassle of dealing with, you know, basically you're a hotel. Mm -hmm. You are a customer service business. Why would you go through all of that and not own the real estate? Right. It's the same thing as McDonald's. Right. McDonald's is not a burger company. They're a real, real estate, estate company. Right? That is where the money is, is an ownership of real estate. I can set up a bunch of businesses. Mm-hmm. But if I don't own if I don't own the asset, the the real estate, it's a short term plan to make money. Right. In my opinion. So long so, story short, you're you're making money. You have good cash flow, but you're not building net worth. Yeah, you're not building net worth. And to 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 that point, I mean, maybe you have less risk. You know, if the roof goes out on the arbitrage building, right. the person you're renting it from is in charge of that roof. So you have limited, you know, coverage of risk. Uh, um, but, yeah, and, and there's you can exit that 
you know, you can default on the lease or you can leave that lease after two or three years. But yeah, in my opinion, it's, it's, it is a business. I know a lot of people are making money on it. I just don't know if it's for me. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. um, and the business side of it, you know, I don't know enough about, um, to really say like, you know, it's a, it's a great performing asset. It's not a great performing asset. I think the people who have experience in that, I would probably say specifically to your question of this person, I would look at their experience. Right. If they already have 10 Airbnbs and they're a successful host, mm-hmm. they got the game, then I would probably feel really good about it. Mm-hmm. If it's just a I idea that they are like, I'm going to try this, I don't know if I would move forward right. on the deal because – being a good host and showing that basically you are a good customer service person mm-hmm. is really key to that is my understanding right. of it. So right. um, that's a great question. Yeah. So I, mean, I had uh, a pop across my desk. And I was <laughs> like, man, I don't even, I've never seen this before. Yeah. 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 A very unconventional way to go about it and almost impossible to underwrite. So I was kind of looking at it and I was like, you know, I don't even know where to start on this. Yeah, I, I I would almost wonder if you would underwrite it with the pretense of previous uh, rental, like arbitrage history, mm-hmm. like if they've done it before. Um, if they haven't, if they don't have any current Airbnbs, I don't even know if you could touch the right. deal. Yeah. I hate to say it, you know, but it's dude, just. And I think this was, we didn't get very far. Yeah. Know, kind of told them this. We weren't the bank to to lend on something like yeah. this, but um I think it was kind of his first couple. Um, and so I kind of wanted to see, I mean, there was no history. There was nothing to fall back on, you know, just kind of right. like, Hey, I got this idea and I want some money. Yeah. Like, well, I've got a lot of ideas right, too. Right. <laughs> right. Like, call regions. <laughs> there is uh, a guy I know. I actually want to have him on the podcast. He's, I think he, he started out, he had several rentals in Hoover um, and then he started to turn them into Airbnbs mm-hmm. and then he started to do some lake house stuff. So I think his portfolio and there it's all short term rentals right. like the 30. Oh, wow. And one of the other guys that I do some commercial work with, um, they'll loan on his stuff, right. you know, and it's a relatively conservative bank, but they'll still loan on his because of the relationship right. and the history. Right. He's got 30, 30 other, you know, properties that are his the proof of his work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's an interesting thing. Um, This is more life thing and just in general, this concept of what is the proof of your work of your life? Right. You know, and if you have that, you can have that conversation with a banker. But if you have no proof of your work that you've done, then they don't have anything to trust. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but that even comes back to relationships, you know, like, of of what is my life telling people that who I am and what I'm about and the action steps that I'll take in the future. Only my history can inform that. Right. And to a degree, only your history can inform yourself. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of our self-worth sometimes is attached as it should be to our actions. Mm-hmm. So if if I have a a history of saying I'm going to go work out at the gym, but never go work out of the gym, I'm telling myself that I'm not worth it. Mm-hmm. That the pro- I made a promise to myself and I broke it. Mm-hmm. So what is my value? Right. Versus if I say I'm going to go work out of the gym and I do it, then I say, 
you, I can trust myself. Right. So I have value. Mm-hmm. The proof of my work is the value that I bring. So perfect example, this morning, I said I was going to ride my bike for 30 minutes. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't want to get out of bed. It was yeah. a little cold. Yep. <laughs> um, but I went and got on that stationary bike, yeah. put in 30 minutes. Um, you know, is it is it actually going to give me crazy gains on from a physical standpoint? Probably not. Mm-hmm. But from a person of the core of who I am, I made a promise to myself and I kept it. Right. So, so there's the integrity there. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you have to show circling back to banking. Mm-hmm. You are showing that right. your credit score is showing that mm-hmm. I said I was going to pay off a debt and guess what? I did, I did it. Right. People who have poor credit scores, they said they were going to pay off a debt and guess what? They, they did, did not. Right. You know? And so that's what you have to go off of. Mm-hmm. You know, but well, man, thank you so much for yeah. the time. I feel like I took too much of it. No, absolutely not, man. <laughs> thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. That was yeah, fun. yeah, that was a great mm-hmm. question. And uh, yeah, next time, next time we see each other, hopefully the weather will be nicer and and we'll be shooting pars. Love it, love it. <laughs> Maybe you. I don't know about me. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be shooting pars. Yeah. No, we got to find a uh, third in our in right. Our, somebody can shoot so. a par. <laughs> All right, man. We'll take it easy. Awesome. Hope you have a great rest Appreciate of the day. You, man.